0: So he's got an incredible heart. Uh, he's an amazing preacher, and now he serves as our area leader uh, to really help pastor the pastors in our area. He literally watches online every single week and gives me feedback and encouragement. And the guy is he is incredible. Um, and so will you put your hands together now for my friend and pastor Mark Slomka.
1: 17 reps later. Yeah. Told Shane that coming in this morning, it was like walking into a TV studio of a show that you've been watching for months and you always love. It's like, this is where the magic happens. (laughs) This this is where it all occurs. Um, Back in March, when this whole COVID thing, it does. I couldn't help but think, you know, in January.
0: Sorry, online. Is that better? Perfect,
1: Mark. <laughs> hey, this is the most stressed up I've gotten in months. <laughs> but when this whole COVID thing started uh, pastors Larissa and Vince Medrano at Faith Community where I used to pastor uh, had asked me to to preach one Sunday and this is when everything was online and so uh, I said okay I'll set up my camera and film in front of the camera that was the worst experience (laughs) I have ever had in my life There was nothing life-giving about it. It was painful. It took about four and a half hours to record a 20-minute message because now it's like this thing's got to be perfect. You know, there, there can't be an uh or a you know or... And where are my eyes going anyways? Where am I looking? So then uh, I went and I got some bottles of wine and I put them... And I happened to be speaking on uh, Jesus turning the water into wine at Cana. So I set up these bottles of wine on the kitchen counter at about eye level. and And, and I looked at... They were my audience. But you know what? They didn't smile. <laughs> they didn't have eyes. They didn't, you know... You know, sometimes you can at least be under delusion that when someone picks up your phone while, while um, you're speaking that they're looking up a Bible verse, you know, not just seeing what the latest feed is or anything. And, and, and as I was doing it, my emotional well-being was crashing. Okay? And then I had to sit down and edit it. So I load the video onto my computer and I'm editing it. And I'm just going... My gosh, you're ugly. Your voice, it sounds terrible. And I'm going on and on, I'm editing it, I'm editing it, and I'm editing it, and I'm thinking, oh my God, we're all televangelists now. You know, we're 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 gonna be doing the very thing that made us a little jumpy earlier in our lives. We're gonna be preaching into a camera. We're going to be asking for tithes and offerings into a camera. I mean, all the things that make you nervous and jumpy and kind of anxious as a pastor was now going to become our focus. And, I, and then I started thinking about our pastors in San Diego County. I, I happen to help oversee uh, Hawaii, Southern California, Arizona, Nevada, and Southern Utah, but my heart is here in San Diego. My, my heart is here in San Diego, and then I started thinking about our San Diego pastors and leaders, and I just thought we 're going to struggle it's going to be really hard uh, there 's not going to be any more good sermon, pastor, even though honestly as pastors, most of us don 't resonate with that you know, just to be told good sermon it 's when you tell us how God spoke to you right. in a sermon right so so I just thought, lord what what can I do and so God put on my heart to watch the online messages on Sunday and take notes and send out a note to every pastor. And, and some messages are easier to hear than others. And I want you to you know your pastor knows how to exposit God's word. Amen. And it's a blessing to me, and I'm built up. And so it's great when you're a fanboy that you get to come on set <laughs> and, and see everything. I also have to confess. I mean, true confessions. I I get anxious every time I have the opportunity to share God's word. It's it's been a part of me ever since I felt God call me to be a pastor. I was raised in a Jewish home. uh, Was bar mitzvahed. Was confirmed as when I was 15, and uh, when I felt when after I came to Christ and I felt God call me to be a pastor i didn't know what that meant. I, I honestly didn't know what that meant, but then, when this whole preaching thing, I realized that that's what pastors do, it was like, Oh no, that's not what this pastor's going to do. Um, like when I played sports, I was always like captain of my team and things but but the whole speaking thing that that was a source of anxiety in fact when i was when I was in grad school, um, I shared this when we had our district gathering for pastors uh, up at Pastor Joel's church in Escondido that uh, I put off my preaching class until my very last year when, when I was in seminary. And, and then, so we had to prepare this like 15-minute message. And I prepared this 15-minute message and the man who was teaching the class, his name was Ian Pitt Watson and he was from Scotland. And, uh, and I mean, just the name sounds formidable. Ian Pitt Watson, and he was like a prince of preachers in, in the United Kingdom, and so he's critiquing your message, and so I stayed up nights trying to put together this 15, 15 minutes. I think I lost 20 pounds preparing this 15-minute message, and, and it, was, it was horrible. I mean, it, it was horrible, and I remember going in, and now it was almost like a competitive defiance for those of you who go into a sports event and you know you're the underdog, it kind of amps you up even more because now it's like at a competitive defiance, you know, I might lose, but they're going to remember this loss, you know, it's like, you know, in whatever capacity it is, you know, you're, they are going to remember it. And so I went in there and my adrenaline was up out of proportion to the quality of what I was going to be <laughs> delivering. And and one of the things I realized is that, and you'll suffer with it a little bit today, is that I kind of have this nasal tone, and and even and back then there was just even a worse monotone. And so I stood up and I got my message, and listen, I have friends in the class that as I'm speaking, they're going, they're just looking now, they can't make eye contact with me. But I was going to be the defiant one. And I powered through it. And when it was all done, he would critique your message. And so I finished the message. And I stood there and I just stared at him. <laughs> and he looked at me. And he looked up. And then he looked at me. And there was this prolonged silence in the room. And it was like I was feeling good. It was like. I may have lost, but I've left the preacher speechless. You know, the the critique man, speechless. I mean, this was going to be a hidden victory for for me. Out of the depths of my poverty, this was going to be a win. And then he stood up, and in his rich Scottish accent, he looks at me. And he, like someone in, in, in Britain, when they address a student in a class, they Call you by your last name, and so it's Mr. Slumpka. And so, uh, he he stands up out of his chair and he looks at me and he goes, "Mr. Slumpka." And I'm just thinking to myself, "Yeah, come on, bring it." You know, you always find something positive to say in everyone's message. I, ain't gonna happen this time, you know. And he looks at me. and he goes, "Mr. Slumpka, has anyone ever told you?" you have dynamic monotone. And I thought, that's me. No one has ever gotten that compliment before. I have dynamic monotone. And you know, the funny thing is, as pastors, we're so insecure about preaching that if, if someone has an edge that we can kind of adopt to make people laugh or things, and we hear that other pastor do it, then we want to copy that. And so I realized when I share that with pastors and they laugh, then then they, it's kind of like, oh, I wish I had dynamic monotone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I wish that was me. But to this day, I, I, I do have a mild anxiety uh, when, when I preach. And and now I'm, you're the first time I've preached in front of a live congregation, live community, since February. And... Um, it's, and so as I was driving over here this morning, I was thinking, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm feeling a little anxious this morning. But you know what? I thank God for that. I, 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 I've always thanked God for that because it's a serious thing when we share the Word of God with others because there's a lot of words we can share, right? Right? And there's a lot of words flying in our culture and nation right now. But what we're not hearing is the word of God. We're hearing people say that they speak in the name of God, but I don't hear it. I I don't hear it. I don't discern it. I can't see a scripture. I I I can't see the heart of God. I love the name of your church. By the way, you know you've made it as a church. When I can get in my car... And, and say, hey, Shlomo, I won't say the word because I don't want everyone's phones going off, yeah. but I could say, hey, Shlomo, directions to Heart Church Escondido. And then she comes back and she says, directing you to Heart Church Escondido, down to address and everything. I mean, I go to some church plants and I say, direct me to this, and I'm having a hard time finding that location. You know, <laughs> But get my car, and as I'm driving over here, I'm I'm thinking, yeah, a little anxious. Worship, though, so good. Thank you all, worship team. But it's a a joy to be here, and as we look at uh, the scriptures this morning, uh, I want us to maybe receive them with a fresh heart, you know, with... I'm going to look at a passage actually you looked at. I visited with Shane about it that I was reflecting on this passage a few weeks ago. And, and, um, and so I thought, even though you've gone through it, I'd like to go back and, and revisit it with you. So um, in a little bit, we're going to look at um, John chapter 14, verses 15 to 31. Um, but before we do so, one of the things that I, I've had this kind of lifelong fascination with amusement with is, is last will and testament stories. Uh, I think in every city, there's somebody right now whose house is cluttered and has 42 cats and uh, half of whom are dead and laying around and they pass away and then they end up giving $40 million to the Salvation Army or something like that. I mean, uh, you hear these stories. And so I've always kind of be fascinated with them. In 1992, I read about this story of a woman named uh, Clara Wood. She's 17 years old. She's working in a diner called Dren's Colonial Restaurant in Chagrin Falls, Ohio, which is about 15 miles east of Cleveland. And there's this man, Bill Cruxton, who is a widower, and he comes in every day, and he sits at the table because she has a radiant smile. She always asks about how he's doing. She, she laughs at his jokes and she just genuinely loves this guy who's like a surrogate grandfather to her. Uh, eight months later, he dies and he leaves her $500,000 just because she smiled and cared for him. You read stories like Leona Helmsley left $12 million to her dog. I mean, what, what, what are people thinking of when, when they do that? And then I read this one story uh, about this guy named Wellington Burt. Apparently, his family life was not a huge success because when he died in 1919, uh, he stipulated in his his will that his assets were not to be dispersed until 21 years after his last grandchild had died. So his last granddaughter died in 1989. So in 2010, 12 people who didn't even know what a Wellington Burt was were now dividing up $110 million between them. I mean, what people do with their inheritances is crazy. Uh, we, we use it to kind of hold power over people. We, we, we think that that the money, the, the property is our legacy, and somehow that that's what changes lives and things. And so... Um, What we're going to look at this morning, I want to tell you those stories and frame it because when we look at John chapter 14, we are looking at Jesus' last will and testament. In John chapter 13, verse 1, uh, John narrates that Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, his time to die had come, he gathered his followers together and he did what was a very Jewish thing he gave his last will and testament. We tend to think in terms of money and property. Jews, especially in the first century, tend to think in terms of relationship and heritage and the passing on of that relationship and heritage uh, to your offspring so that they can tell the story of God's faithfulness and that they can continue to express and expand God's presence uh, through his people today. And so... When Jesus gathers the disciples together, that's what's going on here. For those of you who are familiar, like with um, uh, Jacob and Esau and Isaac, you know, giving the blessing, the inheritance to Esau and going, oh my gosh, what have I done? Uh, you have the 12 sons, right, of, of Jacob, 12 tribes of Jacob, it's called in the Old Testament. And, and he speaks a blessing, passing on that life-giving legacy uh, on through the generations. It's a relational thing, before it's ever ever a property management or a financial estate thing. Uh, In the West, we think in terms of dollars. In the East, they think in terms of relationships, okay? Your legacy is in the relationships. And so, yes, it might involve some money and property, but it's about what you do with it to please God, right? So he gathers the disciples together, uh, happens to be 12, just like Jacob with his 12 sons, bringing them together. And, and so now Jesus does this very Jewish thing. And he gives them his last will and testament. That's, that's the framework for how to understand what's happening in these chapters. And so in chapter 14, we, we see this really clearly. So, so, so Jesus is going to give four promises. He's going to give away, he promises four things that he's going to give them or give through them. And we're going to see that. So uh, I always like it when we stand, when we hear the scriptures. And so let me invite you to stand. Uh, Chapter 14, uh, verse 15. Usually I have someone else uh, read uh, because it's just more monotone, right? So so here, Dynamic dynamic monotone. So here we go. Jesus says, if you love me, or literally this can be translated since or when you love me, you will obey my commandments. Then I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. We'll come back to that word. To be with you forever. In fact, if you want, you can highlight or just note another, an advocate. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot, uh, who the world cannot accept because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he resides with you and will be in you. I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. In a little while, the world will not see me any longer, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live too. You will know at that time that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. The person who has my commandments and obeys them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and reveal myself to him. Lord, Judas, not Judas Iscariot, so there's a good Judas and a bad Judas. So the good Judas says, what has happened that you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him, and take up residence with him. The person who does not love me does not obey my words, and the word you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. I have spoken these things while staying with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom my Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and cause you to remember everything I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give it to you as the world does. Do not let your hearts be distressed or lacking in courage. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad I'm going to the Father, because the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the ruler of this world is coming." He has no power over me but I am doing just what the Father commanded me so that the word so that the world may know that I love the Father Get up let's go from here Father uh, we thank you that this morning as we gather together in this community we get to be reminded of everything Jesus said and taught that as we stand here before you, we believe that you promised to bequeath to us as part of our inheritance this filling presence of the Holy Spirit to teach and remind us. And so, Lord, we, we welcome you here this morning. We, we ask, Lord, and I ask in particular that we would all hear our shepherd's voice this morning. That when we leave here this morning, we could bear witness in our neighborhood and where we work, people we interact with, that we were pastored this morning by our shepherd Jesus. That your Holy Spirit would, would embrace us, Lord, that the tangible weight of your Holy Spirit would be upon us this morning. Encourage, assure, exhort where we need exhortation. But it would be you engaging us today, pastoring us towards yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead, please, please be seated. So there's four things in this passage that I see that Jesus is promising to give us as an inheritance. And the first, and there's, two, there's four things we're going to review, two things I want to dwell on with you. The first is, is that he, he promises us that we are going to be given the Holy Spirit. And he uses this, these two words. He's another advocate. In Greek, there's two words for another. One is another of the same kind, and then another is another of a different kind. And the word that's used here is the one that says another of the same kind, so another like me, and then he uses this word uh, advocate. And your Bible translations—some say advocate, some say helper, some say counselor. Um, uh, some some old translations even say uh, defender, uh, because that word uh, in the Greek means all of those things. It means all of those things. But if you think about what is someone who's got your back all the time? What is someone who will stand up for you? And, and be with you even when you stray? Uh, what is someone who will counsel you, uh, both in wisdom as well as counsel the soul, counsel the heart? Uh, another way it gets translated is helper or encourager. What, what, what do we call someone who is a helper to us or an encourager? Uh, uh, that's a true friend. You know, and Jesus will say at one point, "No longer do I call you servants; I'll call you friends." And so we have this kind of great picture of who Jesus is promising us, and He's promising us another like Himself, who's going to be a true and abiding friend. And so the first thing as He promises us the Holy Spirit is, we learn the identity of the Holy Spirit. We we learn that this Holy Spirit isn't like Casper. On steroids. You know, he's, um, there's great, a man that I used to work for in England, he was preaching in Sweden, and his translator, uh, when we were there, he would translate, David was giving a message on the Holy Spirit, and the translator would translate for David, and every time uh, David would be talking and he'd say something referring to the Holy Spirit, uh, you'd hear these Swedish pastors this kind of chuckle. Hide under their mouth, you know, under their hand. But you clearly like, hear this like, repetitive chuckle going on. And at the end of the message, this one Swedish pastor came up to him and, and said, um, that was a wonderful message today. Um, I just have a question. And David said, sure. You know, what? He said, who is this holy duck you were ta- telling us about? It's all in the translation, right? So, so so, who is it? What's the identity of this person that Jesus is promising to give us when he's absent? And Jesus says, the identity of this person is that they're another me. and And this person will be your true friend. Got your back, will encourage you, comfort you. Teach you true friend. So as he's, And then he spells out even more. He's, and he says, this friend will never leave you. So he tells us the identity of this Holy Spirit. And then he, tells, he, he drives home the permanency of this Holy Spirit. And sometimes we're just so naturally born towards legalism uh, that, that we read this passage and we say, like, if you love me, then I'll ask. God to give you the Holy Spirit. And so that makes us Im- immediately feel insecure. But, you know, you think about it, who, who's he talking to here? He's, he's talking to 12 people, one of whom will deny him, right? So now we're down to 11. And then he says, all of you will abandon me. All of you will leave me. One will deny me. I mean, this is hardly the stellar group that you're going to say, you know, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, but only if you love and obey me. I mean, if it's a done deal. that You may as well, like, say, I'm not giving you my inheritance until my last grandchild's been dead for 21 <laughs> years, right? I mean, it's like, so, so how, you know, how are we to think about this? I love the um, insight from one of the early church fathers, Augustine, who wrote this, if I can find it? He said, How can we love so as to receive him without whom we cannot love at all? Or how shall we keep the commandments so as to receive him without whom we have no power to keep the commandments? Or can it be that the love wherewith we love Christ has a prior place within us, so that by thus loving Christ and keeping his commandments, We become worthy of receiving the Holy Spirit. Can we think that way? Such a thought is altogether wrong. Is that great? Such a way of thinking about a gift is altogether wrong. He gives us the Holy Spirit because like someone giving a gift through a will, it's the joy of the giver to give the gift regardless. And that's why we can count on this permanency of the Holy Spirit. So we have a picture of the identity. We are promised the permanency. And then he describes the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And there is this progression in the scriptures about what the ministry of the Holy Spirit looks like. And so because I think we're Americans and we're obsessed with power and experience, we immediately want to go to power and experience But I think if we just follow this progression of the Holy Spirit as revealed by Jesus and given by him in the New Testament, we see that first, he tells us the Holy Spirit will do two things. He will teach you everything I said. And secondly, he will remind you of everything I said. That's the framework. So someday when he reveals to us the experience and the power, we have a framework for that. So if, if the experience isn't aligned with everything he said, not just something like pu- flick, you know, pluck from a tree, you know, the spare leaf, it's, it has to tie into everything Jesus said. And then... This idea of the, of the Holy Spirit speaking us prophetically is he'll remind you. Uh, remind means to, to make relevant. So the Holy Spirit's going to make relevant for you everything you need to know. So, so Jesus is promising me in this last will and testament that, that because of everything he said, the Holy Spirit will remind me now. Everything that he said then will be reminded to me, given to me now, to teach me now, in a way that's relevant for my life. So so we have this general teaching, which is the word of Jesus, and then we have the specific or prophetic promise that the Holy Spirit will speak out of the abundance of, of Jesus' teaching and apply it to my life now make it relevant we all like relevant right you know make it practical it's not my job to make this morning's message practical right. okay that's not my job uh, that's that's jesus's job that's why before any message i pray that we'd be pastored by jesus because what what i say or pastor shane says it's at the end of the day it's what jesus takes from that and he applies it into our lives and pastors us and reminds and makes it relevant to our life. My my life doesn't look like your life. Your life doesn't look like my life. We share certain things in common, but at the end of the day, that relevant word that I need might be different from the relevant word that you need. But where will that word come from? It will come from the deposit, the treasury of everything Jesus said and taught. And so the first thing Jesus wills us is he promises that he will give us the Holy Spirit. He will give us another true friend. The second thing that he promises, uh, which is really interesting as a result, is, is that he says that the Father will love us. When I first became a Christian, my dad, the person I respected most of my life, the most influential person in my life, when I finally shared with him that I'd become a follower of Jesus, uh, my dad looked at me and he said, what you've done is to become like a Nazi to me. And I'll have nothing to do with you. Uh, He gave me 24 hours. I was back on summer break from university. He gave me 24 hours to gather my things and to move out because I grew up in a home where um, my, our parents generously paid for our undergraduate education. Uh, I was bankrupt in 24 hours. My lifeline was was cut off. But God, it's, 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 to me, to this day, it's the most remarkable testimony I could share with you. Is it was like when my father said that there was hurt, but at the same time, there was no anger. There was just, I had this great love for him as I'm watching my parents weep over my telling them that I'd become a a follower of Jesus. And at the same time, there was like, it it was so mystical, but it was like there was this transfer of fatherly authority. Instantly. And I knew I was loved by God, my father. Uh, I, I knew it as sure as I knew anything. And and he provided for me. He cared for me. Now, it's a long story, but I'll just say that by the end of my parents' lifetimes, I, I had the joy of burying both of them uh, with the understanding that I believe I'll see them in heaven wow. because of how God ministered to them. At the end. But at the time, there was this transfer and... When my father, my earthly father, came back in my life, it was a wonderful thing, but he, he wasn't the father. He was my father, but he wasn't the my father. And there's, there's a huge distinction. So it grounds you. Um, and, and so Jesus promises them that, that I'll, I'm going to give you, bless you with the Holy Spirit. Secondly, I'm going to bless you with the assurance that God, your Father, will love you. I hear all the time about father wounds. You know, it's a, that father wound can be sealed when a father loves you. Um, we can endeavor to be the best fathers in the world. And let me tell you, if you came from an abusive home or, or a home where your father abandoned, let me tell you, no one has children with the, with the hope of, you know, let's have a baby so that we can screw up a life. Yeah. That's, you know, I've, I've waited my whole life to become an adult so I can have a baby and then just screw up their life. <laughs> no, one, no one thinks that way. That's the brokenness of the world that we live in. No one thinks that way, but it happens. So when Jesus in his last will and testament says, the Father will love you. I, centuries can change and you know, cultures change, but the capacity of a family to be broken hasn't changed. So who knows what the life of the 11 in Jesus' circle was like. But they need to know that the Father would love them. Third thing he, he promises, and this one's really kind of, is, is good, Judas says, this is great. You know, you're giving us our true friend forever. You're giving us the Father's love. But you're going, how will the world ever see this? And Jesus says, well, third thing I'm giving away in my last will and testament is you. We're part of Jesus' last will and testament. He says, I'm going to go to the Father, you're going to love, and we're going to live in you. That's how the world's going to know my love. So Jesus promises to give the Holy Spirit. He promises to give us the Father's love. Third thing he promises is he's going to give us. Good news and bad news. Good news is you get all this stuff. Maybe for some of us, the bad news is, and now... We're the ones that give it to the world, yeah. okay. The third promise Jesus promises to give as part of his last will and testament is his followers. We're it. There are going to be days where you and I could say, "God, what were you thinking? I mean me really, that I'm part of your last will and testament there's, there's got to be better alternatives. you know you you who will have all this wealth and command everything." It's us? It's us. It's us. And let me tell you, in 21st century post-election United States of America, it is on us to make sure it's us and not us with an agenda. Okay. Anything that would link Jesus to something other than the, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was with God and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and now sends us, we cannot let that message be attached to any other message. No matter what our personal inclinations might be, we cannot let our opinions, which are human and short-term and limited, He goes, we don't get God's view. We can't give anyone any other reason to be afraid of us, scared, insecure, feeling judged, anything except Jesus Christ. Except Jesus Christ. It, It is him and him alone. And God promises to send us. The question is, What's on our shirt? What's on our hat? What what's, what message are we giving? I have a very close friend. We've uh, he was in my youth group uh, that I was leading uh, years ago, and they brought him to youth group because he was Jewish, and they said, "Well, our youth." Pastor is Jewish, and he played basketball, and I grew up playing basketball, and so um, over the Mike, I kind of became a mentor to Mike, and then eventually we're friends and brothers. And because um, it's like once you reach, I think like forty, everybody's your peer. I mean, it's just like the age distinctions. Like when you were in high school and someone was three years older than you, I mean that that person was like old. I want to be like that guy. He's he's a senior, and I'm a freshman, and and. I want to dress like that. I want to look like, now it's like, you hit 40, and it's like, what's three years? I mean, I mean, when I was in high school, it's changed now, but when I was in high school, I mean, if a senior was dating a freshman, it was like, it's like, they're, they're plundering. I mean, they're, they're like, you know, they're robbing. And now you, know, like you meet people who, who you know, have three years difference in their marriage, it's like, big deal, you know, these, these, these things, what do they mean anymore? So, so <laughs> it's, it, it's us, right? It's us. Fourth thing, last will and testament. Holy Spirit, Father's love, us, he gives us away. Last thing is he promises us peace. Okay. He promises us peace. Now, peace is interesting because uh, he, he identifies in the world there's turmoil. <laughs> yeah, turmoil. Uh, but I, I give you peace. And so I just want to make three quick observations about peace is that the first thing, it's, it's a thinking person's peace. Okay? It's not a stupid peace. Okay? I, I have a friend who went to medical school and and. After taking epidemiology and infectious disease, he went up to the doctor, world-known specialist at Stanford Medical, and said to him, you know, how do you, how do you live each day? How do you go to bed? How do you laugh knowing that there's so many viruses and communicable diseases that, in a sense, have, have a target on your forehead? How, 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 do you, how do you live knowing that all of this is out there? And and this guy said, "I just you're just thinking too hard. You know, just just don't think about it. Yeah. That's really kind of stupid. I mean I mean, you don't get peace by not thinking. I mean that that's that's how the world thinks. Okay, just don't think about it. Just just kind of live in denial. That's." That's not how you have peace. Peace is, is something that, that is given to us. Jesus promised to give them, which means it can be reflected on. It can, it, it can be thought on. It's reasonable. How, how do I receive peace when I'm not feeling peaceful? It's, it's to think, reflect on Jesus. Let my imagination go wild as the Holy Spirit recalls in a relevant way something Jesus taught or said. It's not going into a state of denial. It's not chanting certain words as if just this mindless repetition of words gives peace. Second thing is peace is a spiritual experience. Love, love is a spiritual experience. Every human being who has experienced love has had a spiritual experience. Just think in your own lives. You know the difference between being liked and being loved. It's hard to define that, right? If, if I said, tell me the difference between being loved and liked. It's, it's kind of like, well, like does not equal love, but love has like as part of it right and so but it's this experience i have four daughters uh they love rom-coms they they love romantic comedies and and uh so like big hits in our family are father of the bride one and two uh there's some chris uh the family stone at christmas they watch every time uh holiday i think it is uh gets watched every year at christmas Uh, My oldest daughter uh, was married. Uh, Thanksgiving is her favorite holiday of the year, so we gathered together up in the Bay Area over Thanksgiving. Family came in and friends from all over the world came in for it, and we cooked this Thanksgiving feast, and then we drove over from Santa Cruz over the hill to San Jose where the wedding was going to be. And uh, during Thanksgiving, as we were cooking these two 25-pound turkeys, I was feeling like as I was carrying them, I feel like this tightening in my neck and, and kind of this, like someone was like pushing on my chest and, and things. I'm just saying, ah, oh, this is just anxiety over my first wedding in the family and things. And, and um, so that night I got my parents situated in the hotel and got everything. And, and, but as I'm lifting the luggage, I, at one point I have to sit down and this this is Thanksgiving night, and so um, I'm driving back, and my wife, Carol, was a little concerned for me. And so I, I'm calling her up, and this is not like me at all. Uh, I say, um, she says, um, how are you feeling? I said, well, I'm feeling fine right now. And, and she says, well, do you think you'll be able to sleep tonight? And I said, oh, come on, honey, I'm a man. I can compartmentalize anything. and 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 but this is the part that was unlike me i said will you be able to sleep tonight and she said no and so i went to good samaritan hospital uh, to emergency they take my blood and everything and doctor comes in and says to me he says you didn't have any enzymes in your blood that would indicate you're having a heart event and He goes through all the tests that they did and things, and he said, and that's why I'm admitting you. And I go, what? And he goes, that's why I'm admitting you. He says, you won't survive the weekend. Uh, Based on what you're telling me and what the results came back, um, you won't survive the weekend. And I I said to him, wait, you just said the tests were fine. You're telling me I'm not going to survive the weekend? He goes, that's right. I said, "This is my daughter's wedding weekend." I said, "The rehearsal dinners tonight, and then the weddings on Saturday." And you're telling me I'm not going to survive the weekend? He says, "Yeah, that's why I'm admitting you." And he says, "You're free to go." He says, "But he says if you're as healthy as you think you are, then tomorrow morning you're going to have a treadmill test, and if you pass that, you're free to go." But you know, it's not going to hurt you to stay in overnight. So, so I stay in overnight. And the next morning, I take the treadmill test. It didn't even last five seconds. I mean, it was like once the thing started going. So here it is. It's Friday. The rehearsal dinner's that night. And he's, and I said, well, I got to go and, you know, my, he says, listen, your daughter would rather have you in the hospital and miss her wedding than be burying you on Monday. And, and I'm thinking... I'm not receiving this. I'm not, you know. That's that's the thinking piece. Like I'll just chant this out of my brain, you know, kind of thing. I'll just go into denial. But so the doctor comes in and he says, "It's it's bad. Um, we're going to take you and do a stent. And but there is a chance that we do that. You're going to get opened up and have bypass surgery. In which case? And, uh, it's like a rom com gone awry at, at this point, you know. <laughs> And um, so they get me ready and I'm I'm lying on the gurney as they're getting ready to wheel me in. And this peace floods over me. Didn't even ask for it. This peace just floods over me. It's not coming from within me. It's coming around me. And it, and, it, and it fills my mind, and it, 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 it quiets my heart. And all of a sudden, I just have this awareness. It's okay. No matter what happens. I didn't feel God promising at me I'd make it to the wedding. I, didn't know. I just had this deep peace that didn't cause me to deny my circumstances, what was happening, what I might be missing. Every father's dream to walk their daughter down the aisle. It was okay. It was okay. That peace is real. And it's promised. And there's been other situations. I had an incident in Ukraine. You go into their hospitals and their very best hospital makes our very worst hospital look five-star. I mean, it's... And same thing. It's okay. Even if this is your last place, it's, it's genuinely okay. It's Okay. Third thing is within this peace is it's a kingdom peace. It's a peace given for life in Christ and life in his kingdom, not life in this world. So if, if you're asking for peace over what's happening in this nation right now, uh, my mind doesn't even go there because that's not what this peace is for. This peace is for God and his kingdom. This peace is for God and his people, from God to his people. This peace is for us who he's sending out into a tumultuous world to have confidence that Christ is enough. Christ is sufficient. That This world, it's, the best moments of this world are like a bubble on, the, on top of water, you know, in the ocean or in a swimming pool. That bubble is there but for a moment before it pops. There's no permanent peace in this world. What we can do is we can exemplify the peace, love, and justice that is part of Christ's world. And that peace is given to us for that. So we get to hear this morning Jesus' last will and testament. He promises the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to give you the father's love i will you to the world to show my love and he wills to give us peace because that life-giving relationship goes on so this morning as we close i'm going to ask pastor shane to come and close us but we all need a fresh visitation of Jesus, we, we all need kind of to say, you know, I've been willed riches. I've been given riches. And I'm either ignoring it and not calling upon what I've been willed. I'm not living in my inheritance. Or I'm ignoring it my inheritance, or some portion of my inheritance. But dear ones, whether this is your first time here or you're watching online and tuning in, the preacher next Sunday will be better. You'll, Shane, Shane is great. He's also better looking, does not have my dynamic monotone. <laughs> but, but whether it's our 100th time in a Christian gathering or our first time, whether we're in person or remote, um, this is for you. And like will be said frequently in the Jewish Old Testament, it's for you and your children and your children's children unto the fourth generation. That's what I call an inheritance. God bless you.
0: (laughs) Oh, good. Fantastic. Man, we're going to we could do a series on all four of those things. It's so rich, gosh, Father God, we thank you for these moments that we've had. Lord, I don't want to gloss over the richness that that we've received, and I believe that you, by your Spirit, as was spoken about this morning, that that revelation, the bringing to relevancy that the Holy Spirit does to each of the words of Jesus was different for all of us this morning, but unique to us. And so God, I thank you for that. And now we ask as we go in the power of the Spirit with the Father's love abiding in us as we're given to the world and now we have a peace that um, is supernatural. Lord, we thank you for the inheritance that we can now take and live out this week. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have an awesome, awesome day.